recorded live. Hello, everyone. This is Robert Johnson of Let'sRun.com. Welcome to yet another edition of Track Talk Live. You're going to be, I'm going to be joined today by Let'sRun.com A staff writer Jonathan Galt and my fellow co-founder Weldon Johnson. And we're going to get you excited for one of the best weekends, maybe the best weekend of the year. I mean, it's an amazing weekend. It's opening day tomorrow. Actually, with IWF. Doha meet taking place from uh, 12 to 2 Eastern, and then later that night, uh, 11:45 Eastern, 5 in the morning Italy time is the Nike Sub 2 attempt. So, um, and if that's not enough for you, as the Nike Sub 2 attempt is going on, we're also going to have the Peyton Jordan um, <clears throat> meet going on at the exact same time. So it should be quite a weekend. One fantastic opening day in Doha, and then two. Well, I'll call them exhibitions. I mean, in some ways, the Nike Sub 2 attempt is not a real race, and for many people, the uh, Peyton Jordan meets a practice. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Jonathan Weldon, welcome. Good to be here. Good to be here. So, uh, guys, I-, I think that most people want to talk about Sub 2. I think it's, it's, I- I've got to give Nike some credit. I'm, well, I'm not a big fan of, of the uh, thing. Um, it's definitely captured people's imaginations, casual fans. So, you know, one of the reasons I think we're doing this podcast is we want to get people excited for the regular season, it's opening day, Doha. So let's start with that, um, make people listen to that, because it is a fantastic meet. Um, John, you wrote the preview. I mean, there's so many good uh, uh, events, um, fantastic men's hundreds, you know, the men's hundred runners never race each other, and yet we've got Gatlin and DeGrasse in the first event of the year, some great distance events. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I think the the two in- events that really stuck out in my mind was the men's 100 and the women's 800. I'll, I'll say let's start with the 100, um, just because that is really the marquee event in all of track and field. And granted, the biggest star is not the Usain Bolt. You know, he's pretty selective mm-hmm. with his races. So he won't be running, but Andre de Grasse, who's essentially, you know, the I think will take over as the top 100 meter man in the world, either him or, you know, perhaps Trayvon Bromel, if he can get healthy. One of those two will probably is the heir apparent to Bolt. And then you've got uh, Justin Gatlin, who ever since 2013 has been, you know, the number two guy in the world behind Usain Bolt. So, uh, you know, I looked it up and they've actually they've raced three times in the past. Um, once was the Olympic final last year, and then the World Championship final in 2015. Both of those times, three behind Usain Bolt. But they actually raced last year at the pre-classic, and uh, Gatlin race. You, you know, DeGrasse was sort of slow getting started, uh, and he was, I think he was only eight. He wasn't really a factor in that race. But from the glimpse I saw of DeGrasse at the World Relays, um, where he helped Canada win gold in the 4x2. Uh, and, you know, I was reading, I was looking at this video with DeGrasse's coach, Stuart McMillan, uh, that Track and Field News put out a couple of days ago. And McMillan said that um, DeGrasse's top-end speed is already there. You know, it's it's very good at this point. I think, you know, Justin Gatlin, very seldom have we seen him lose. Uh, I don't think he's, since the start of 2014 or I can't recall him losing a 100-meter race to anyone other than Usain Bolt. So I think it'll be interesting to see if uh, Gatlin, who is, you know, he's getting up there in years now. Um, 35 years of age. I mean, yeah, I, I, when, I, when I analyze this, 
you know, as good as Justin was, particularly in 2015, I mean, last year we saw a slight dip, I, I think, in his form. I mean, I, going into the Olympics, I certainly didn't expect him to beat Bolt, whereas in 2015 I thought there was a, you know, if he hadn't stumbled, he might have really done it. But, can he, I mean, you know, I, I'm just wondering if sort of, I mean, I guess Kim Collins is doing it at age 40, but at some level you think it would just be too old for, for Justin. I mean, he, um, I'm wondering, you know, John, do you think his dip last year was just an age thing or, you know, I guess yeah, it wasn't I, that I much think... slower. I mean, maybe it was just the boat was in better shape. I mean, if you actually look at, at, at Gatlin looking at his, his results, I mean, he's been pretty consistent. 2012, 979, 2013, 985, 2014, 977, 2015, 974. So 974 is certainly better than the 9.80 that he ran last year. But, you know, it's not leaps and bounds better. Um, so, you know. I, I, do, I do think it was a dip. I, I think that, you know, granted he was away from the sport for four years during his prime, but he, you know, he's 35 years old. And he, when you look at his 2014 and 2015 time, he was putting up some very fast times on the Diamond League circuit. And, you know, last year he did get to – he ran 9.80 in the U.S. final at the Olympic trials. But during the regular season, you know, he had a 2.6 tailwind at the pre-classic. He only ran 9.88 to that meet. Um, yeah, and at the Olympic final he ran 9.89. You know, that, that's that's fine, but it's – he ran 9.80 in the World Championship final in 2015. Um, so – to me, you know, the question is, he only, well, I guess you'd say, oh, he holds on until next year and then Bolt's gone, but next year there's no championship. So he's going to have to hold on, you know, really, unless you think he can beat Usain Bolt this year, which I do not. He's going to have to wait until 2019 when he's going to be 37. And at that point, I just think between uh, Andre de Grasse and Trayvon Bromel and, you know, Sprinter X, who will probably emerge over the next few years, and, you know, maybe Johan Blake gets back to closer to full strength. Between all those guys, I think Gatlin's window is pretty much closed at this point. But, you know, he could go out and run 9-7 tomorrow and prove me totally wrong. Yeah, yeah let me jump in here. Uh, hello, everyone. If you're just joining us, this is Let's Run.com Track Talk Live. We're discussing incredible weekend of track and field news. Excuse me, track and field and news. Um, we're discussing the season opener tomorrow, Diamond League meet, Justin Gatlin versus Andre DeGrasse. It's an amazing matchup. I'm Walden Johnson. We've got Robert Johnson on the call, Jonathan Galt. Um, I've established myself in the hotel room. I'm at a wedding this weekend. I'm at 7,000 feet getting in some altitude training. That's a joke. But uh, I can now discuss about DeGrasse and Gatlin and both even and a couple things. One, John, you took it for granted that both could win the world championships. I highly recommend people watch a movie. It's available on Netflix or, excuse me, at least Amazon. Uh, called I Am Bolt. It's a uh, documentary. It's very well done. Got great footage from Olympics, championships. And essentially you see Bolt, like he doesn't like to train. Um, that's the reason he's doing the 100 this year. He thinks it's easier than 200. And I sort of wonder if, you know, if that's his mindset, if he might get beat this year. Um, in terms of the matchup this weekend, you know, it's sort of the future versus the past. It's a matter of time, I think, when DeGrasse beats Gatlin consistently. And like you said, John, like, he sure looked good at the World Relays. You know, I'm sure some sprint guru could figure out what he actually ran for that 200, but it was unbelievable, I thought. So, 
but right off the bat, it's just a great way to start the track season. And okay. you know, I don't know. The entire Doha meet is unbelievable. It's, it's becoming, I feel like, after the season enders, I mean, I guess you have the pre-meet as well. It's historically ranked so well. But after the two season enders, I feel like Doha and pre are sort of almost a notch ahead of most of the other meets. London's yeah, I good. think Monaco and London. Monaco is always yeah. Monaco, Monaco and London. London's also pretty good. Those are really the ones that stand out for me. Yeah, I, I think one reason why people like to do it. I mean, it's so early in the year. You can go to Doha if you're in a Coburn and not blow your season, and you still got to come back and do a good month of training, and then still do USA's and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, let me show you my sprint expertise, guys. This is Robert Johnson taking over once again. Um, you know, we've been talking about DeGrasse in Gatlin, but one guy we've not been talking about is the guy who I think may win the race. I think he's certainly got a higher chance than Justin Gatlin. How about Akani Simbine? I don't know how to say his name properly. Um, S-I-M-B-I-N-E. Akani Simbini. I'm going to go with the rhyming Akani Simbini. But, you know, he's already run 9.92 this year. Andre DeGrasse's PR is 9.91. So this guy was only .03 behind DeGrasse in the Olympics. He's in form, obviously, with that 9.92. And the thing that he's not old, he's 23, whereas DeGrasse is 22. So, um, you know, to have him in that field is, you know, got two of the younger guys. We actually got the 40-year-old King Collins. So, you know, really exciting um, on that front. And former world record holder Safa Powell is also in the field. So, you know, I'm sure the, the nerds on Let's Run.com, Sorry, guys, and girls that, that are visiting us. Uh, you know, as you get older in age, you need to embrace the word nerd. It's really a compliment. Um, but they probably want to talk more about the distance events. So let's move on and talk about um, one of the uh, – so let's talk about the distance events. I mean, I, to me, the, the marquee matchups really were the Olympic final or the women's 800 or the women's steeplechase. There's also a men's 1500 and a men's 3000. I guess that men's 3000 is pretty good too. Um, I think we should start. Do you want to go in chronological order or should we go in the order of, of, excite, of excitement? Uh, I, you already I said. Mean, my preference would be start with women's 800. That's the one I think most people want to hear about. Okay, I agree. Women's 800. You've got all three um, medalists from the Olympics last Actually, year. Actually, correction there, Robert. There's a late scratch. Francine Niansaba, the Olympic silver medalist and world Indoor champion. She uh, her flight got canceled uh, to Doha, so she's not competing. Just FYI. Um, Seriously, wow! I didn't know that. How I mean, hard is it to get a flight? I, I was seeing on sort of John and I, I both can't believe they asked me to get in earlier. Yeah, you know, she's coming from she's coming from Eugene, I believe. Well, I mean, if that's where she, you know, she's with the Oregon Track Club. So if you're flying from from there, that's going to be even harder. I remember actually, I was looking. Um, I think Genevieve Lacaz, the Australian steeplechaser, she had a tweet about her travel schedule. I think she had five flights she had to take to get free shoes training in San Diego. She had to go to San Diego to Washington, then Washington to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to Kuwait City, and Kuwait City to Doha. So it's not easy. Uh, you know, Doha is like 12 hours from New York. So getting that from the West Coast of the United States and making connections, not easy for all these athletes. Uh, uh, people... I disagree. It's not that hard. I took the nonstop from Doha to Philadelphia. Philly to Doha. It was quite nice on Qatar Airways. It's an American. It's a uh, yeah American Airlines partner. Um, I know Mike Scott from Rhode Island. He took a 
I think a nonstop, John, from oh, that was New York. That's where you flew, right? New York to Doha. Yeah, maybe. Well, if you're in New York, yeah, it's not hard to get there if you're in New York, but that's not where these athletes are flying from. Or can't they fly? You, I mean, you now getting anywhere to Eugene is tough. The West Coast just to the East Coast is a full day. I, I had I used to when I was coaching at Cornell, I had a kid on the team that told me, "Coach, you understand when I'm traveling to Cornell, I can't, I can't um, run that day." I was like, "What?" And I looked at the schedule; like, it was pretty much an all-day trip. So it, it is hard. Well, to that's get getting to Ithaca, New York. That's pretty much impossible. Anyway, I think people came here to hear about the race, not a travel schedule. So. My thinking, you know, I look at it, uh, it's, it's spectacular. It's Everyone has hypothetical what could Conzebe de Barba run in an 800. Uh, ever since she dropped that ridiculous 156.9 final 800 to win her world championship gold medal uh, in the 1500 in 2015, that's sort of been on people's mind. Uh, I noted in our preview, she did a workout. She did 6 by 800 a couple of years ago, averaging 202. Um, she closed in 158. Her coach, John Arden, said he thinks he, she can run 154, uh, which not even Semenya has run that fast. So to me, I'm still taking Semenya. I think that if Genzebe de Barra has a 154 in her, I think Semenya has at least a 154 in her. She's just so dominant last year, looked totally untouchable. I think whatever, whatever de Barra throws at her, Semenya will be ready to answer and still kick off the at the end of the race, and, you know, we might not even get to Barbara finishing second. Could very well be Margaret Wambui, who got the bronze in Rio last year around 156. I mean, it's an incredible matchup, and just the idea that we're talking about um, Semenya getting beat, it just shows what a runner um, the Baba is. I mean, there is the whole drug raid with her coach last year. It's sort of amazing. In case you don't know the story, Yama Aden, her coach, hotel was raided in Spain, in the, you know, early part of the summer last year. And, you know, he coaches Dababa, uh, Philemon, a bunch of other, the top pros, and nothing ever happened. Well, hasn't been charged with drugs. Reportedly, they found drugs in the hotel room. Um, no one has been suspended. Yama Aden's still free to coach. So that sort of hangs over the meat. But, you know, She's the greatest 1,500-meter or the fastest 1,500-meter runner ever by a lot. And just the fact that she could beat uh, Semenya, who pretty much we thought was unbeatable last year, and she was unbeatable. Um, and, and the question with Semenya last year was, was she sort of sandbagging in races? There's the whole intersex issue with her. Um, and, you know, in the, in the past, intersex women had to keep their testosterone below a certain level to compete. That's no longer the case. Um, so some people speculated that, you know, Castor didn't run all out just because she didn't want to bring too much attention to it. Well, if she can get beat by DeBaba, you know, this is what we want. You know, how, what, what we can see sort of how fast can Castor's Semenya run. Um, we get to see it in race, race number one of the pro track season. I mean, Semenya's been running in South Africa, but, you know, this is her first real challenge of the year. You know, one, one thing I, I always wonder, you know, I, I know that, you know, you say that there's a cloud hanging over the sport and drugs were found in the hotel. You know, one thing I always try to think is of is perspective. Do you think people in Ethiopia or maybe Spain where the raid was done, do, do they look at the American group and think the same thing whenever they see Galen Rupp running? I mean, we, we need to have some perspective here. 
I sometimes get in arguments with John about this. You know, I mean, drugs were found with Alberto Salazar. We know that he has drugs, and he's admitted to having drugs. So I'm not saying that John Mahadon's clean. I'm also not saying Alberto Salazar is clean. But it's frustrating to me as a fan. But, you know, this kind of gets into this conversation about clearing out the world records. Like, let's clear them out since 2005, since, you know, everybody's uh, been testing since then. I mean, you're raiding hotels now. We can't even bust people because the benefit has to be, you know, it's just like the court of law, innocent until proven guilty. So, I mean, it's a matter of degree. One, they didn't raid Alberto Salazar's rooms and find drugs. He's admitted to using androgel um, for himself, he says. I guess the massage therapist, John Steiner, says he found androgel in a room. Um, But, you know, that's different than a police action. So I think, you know, it's levels of degree, but it's a fair criticism. You know, Americans, like, the, the whole thing now is like, oh, all the Kenyans are dirty, right? So, and they turn it back on us and say, hey, what about the American sprinters? So... You know, yeah, well, actually, if you just th- didn't hear the, uh, I think it's the an US- unfair comparison to the group, but to Alberto's group. But sure, there's definitely a lot of questions that hang over that group. But I think it's one less degree from what's hanging over the uh, Yama Aden group. Plus, you know, the sort of performances of some of the of those athletes are at another level. Um, yes, I mean, speaking of that, I thought it was interesting. They if there was a quote from one of the articles about from P.S. O'Callaghan, who was the Irishman who's sort of the head of that European athletics committee to, or task force that was charged with sort of reassessing the records. And his quote was something along the lines of, you know, uh, we're looking at some of these times and, you know, Laura Muir, she's the best in Britain and she can't even get close to, you know, she's run 355 and she can't even get close to the world record. And, I, you know, I don't know if that was taken out of context from him or whatever, but it's sort of amusing because the one of the, you know, she, she's run 355, she's not close to the world record, but her, that world record in that event was only set two years ago. That's one of the records that would still stand, it would be unaffected. So he's either sort of suggesting something about the barber or he's perhaps, you know, doesn't realize quite, you know, everything about all the records. Yep. I mean, it's yeah, it's sort of not the best logic, but we could discuss drugs forever. We we got too much to talk about. Our sub two hour discussion Wait, is coming up. We need He's to make predictions. Everybody, we're, we're green on the Doha Diamond League meet. Um, yeah, I was about to say, let's get to it. Let's predict the eight hundred. Who's going to win? How fast? I'm definitely saying Debaba. I mean, to me, it's, it's like, do you think Mo Farah is going to win Whoa. at eight hundred Monaco? He might run fast. He's not winning. So, sorry, sorry, Semenya, Semenya. Okay. Um, definitely rooting for Semenya. I mean, not rooting for her. I'm, I'm, I, I, uh, am predicting her for the win. Um, uh, oh God, she's already run a 159 this year. I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's going to be that fast, but yeah, she hasn't broken two this year. Although in the prediction, I wrote Semenya for the win. I said Charlene Lipscomb, America, is going to run 157. So I've got to go Semenya 156, I guess. Charlene Lipscomb is going to beat Debaba in my prediction. It's going to be what? It's going to beat Debaba. Yeah, we haven't. We should mention that real quick. Charlene 
uh, Lipsy now training with uh, Ozzy Wilson, having a tremendous year. The American sort of, I don't know, kind of stagnated a couple years out of college, and now she's, you know, would have broken the, the U.S. record indoors if the training partner didn't break it before in the same way. And she's not messing around, you know, she's flying over to Doha. Uh, Ajay's not going, and she'll be racing against the world's best and the Baba. Just an incredible race. Um, yeah, the more I think about it, Robert, I agree with you. How can Dababa have better finishing speed than Semenya? I'm going to go with Semenya. I mean, can, why do we think they're going to run like 156? It's crazy to think that they're going to run 156. Um, right off, first race. What did they run last year? Yeah, it's going to be 155.28. Curious what yeah, they ran last year. I believe she ran 156 here last year. Uh, I think it was pretty fast. And that's actually one of the things. You hooked it up. 158.26 for the win last year. So that gives me a little more confidence. 157 for the win. Um, Could be 157 or something much faster. 154. I'm going to go with Robert. I think 156 for the win for Semenya. I think that, you know, maybe she doesn't run that. This meet, you know, it depends on how fast the race goes out. If Semenya, if uh, Dubai was really aggressive, you know, maybe it goes faster. If it's, you know, a little more relaxed, it goes slower. But I think two things to point out. One is one of the knock-on effects of, I, I call it the Semenya effect, is just like, look how many of the top women in the world set PRs last year. It's pretty. It was pretty much all of them. Just because they consistently get in fast races, whether it's in the Diamond League or the Olympics, behind Casta Semenya. And essentially that just forces them to run their best all-out effort, and you know it's still not enough to beat her. But and sorry, not that these women aren't giving their best effort in other races, but it allows them to run their fastest possible time because they're just being dragged along so quickly. Um, so Lipsy could benefit from that if this happens, and you know she's she was in very good shape uh, over the winter, so that's one thing to watch. Then the other thing, you know, in case you're debating Semenya's closing speed, you know, I think we all agree it's pretty darn good. Remember, she won the Diamond League final in the 400 meters last year. You know, this is, she, she's got ridiculous. Wait, what? I completely forgot that. What'd yeah. she run? Uh, I think it was 50 points. I would have to double check that. But I got it uh, here. Um, 50-40. Wow. Yeah. I completely forgot about that race because she actually didn't run a pass with that. She might have. Might. Um, well, the fans <laughs> on Let'sRun.com are saying 54% Semenya, 41% Dababa. You can still vote in our poll in the preview. So I think we're kind of in agreement on that. Um, Habs of University of Pennsylvania makes a good point in the chat box. He said, you know, to be fair, the police wouldn't have the right to do a similar raid here. In Spain, they have more rights to do raids, but he thinks that Auden's explanation for the syringes is much less believable than Salazar's for his Android gel. Um, so let's move on to the next um, distance event in Doha. The women's 3,000. I mean, how ridiculous, steeplechase, uh, how ridiculous is this field? Eight of the top nine from Rio. Uh, John, uh, I'm sure you know, you can tell us which one of the top nine is missing. Um, but led by world record holder Ruth Jabet, but you've got all three of the American Olympians, Emma Coburn, Courtney Frerich, uh, Wait, Emma Coburn, Colleen Quigley, and uh, Courtney Frerichs. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah there we go. I do have all three. I was a little confusing myself there. Um, you know, and it's, to me, this race is fascinating. I mean, I don't think any of the three of us have any doubt that Jabet's going to win. I mean, she didn't, you know, I think at World Cross Country, you know, she got smoked, but everybody got smoked by Kenya. I mean, I think the top six were all from Kenya. Jabet, who was born in Kenya, was like top ten. But, you know, she was the top non-Kenyan. Yeah, so she's in good enough shape. I mean, you know that she's been training well and, you know, she's fit. You don't have to be, you know, in 1250 shape to be an amazing steeplechaser. Um, so I, I think she's clearly going to win. To me, what I'm going to be watching, I mean, I, I want to see how fast Jabet's going to win. Is she going to break nine? I say yes. But to me, I, I'm all into Emma Coburn here. You know, who has the season of their life and then ditches their coach? To me, that's a crazy decision. It may be financially motivated. Um Maybe it's smart from a financial standpoint, but, you know, if there's any slippage here, we're going to start hearing about it all season. Oh, Emma shouldn't have made this change, and Emma shouldn't have made this change. You know, so I'm really going to be watching her, um, you know. And one thing I say as a former college coach myself is I'm not saying coaches are overrated. I mean, I think a coach can be very important, and I think I have the utmost respect for Mark Wetmore. Um, But a coach in in some ways – is like a jockey for a horse. I mean, we can only do, um, you know, so much. You know, I mean, Dathan Ritzenheim was great under Mark Wetmore. He was great under Alberto Salazar. He was great under high school. Who the hell was his high school coach? I mean, we don't even – I couldn't tell you. So, you know, you can run great under a lot of people, but sometimes, you know, Jeremy Warner, he switches coaches, never regained his form. Now, he did go back to his old coach, you know, Clyde Hart, and never got back to the form. So maybe he was, maybe it was just coincidence that when he switched coaches, he sort of started to struggle. You never know. But, you know, it's going to be a, something that, you know, if you're Coburn and you switch coaches, it's very important, I think, from a psychological standpoint for her to start off this meet in a good direction. You know, maintain her dominance in the U.S. and show that she's still, you know, one of the top women in the world. Because if not, then she may start wondering if she made the right decision. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this, this is the key. Though. And, you know, the, the nice thing for her is that she had a bit of a buffer between her and the next best American. Um, she's just been so good on the U.S. scene the last few years. And that even if she's not, you know, at, you know, exactly as good as she was in 2016, if you take the 2014 or 2015 version of Emma Coburn, she's still going to be the best in the U.S. So she's got that going for her. But, yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the gap between her and Jabet is closed at all. Um, but, yeah, I, I do expect Jabet to win. I don't know about sub-9. Uh, if you actually remember last year, Jabet lost her first Diamond League steeple in Shanghai. Uh, but she's been unbeatable since then. And the Rabbits, I think the Rabbits are only supposed to come through 2K and 6-10, which is, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Jabet just says, you know, forget that, I'm going to take this thing on my own um, and do it from the front. Coburn showed yeah, last she year she can run fast early. She ran nine ten at a pre. I mean, it's a little bit later in the season, but you know, fastest she ran, has ever run is nine oh seven at the Olympics. But that was sort of hot weather. So it sort of makes you wonder, you know, can how close can Emma get to the nine minute barrier this year? I mean, that's sort of, I don't know. I think that everyone's perspective on the steeplechase is going to change because are we still? At, what three women ever under nine? What are, what are we at now? Um, but I think it's going to start becoming more and more common. I mean, Debat took it to a new stratosphere last year. 
and you look at 3K times and that sort of thing, there's room for improvement in the steeple, um, at least depth-wise. So props to Emma and the whole U.S. team. Just You know, we haven't even talked about and Charlene Lipsy, men's 3K, we got Ben True, we got Paul Chilimo. Props to all the Americans, like not afraid to go race the best. Um, it's yeah, just a new I- era in American distance running, and, you know, it's funny because you got to look up, like, all the medals that people it used to be. If someone won a medal, it was like uh, it was just unbelievable. Now it's like, oh yeah, Emma, what she got a bronze, and you know, it's pretty good. But there's a lot of other medalists now as well. Yeah. Um, well, we only have one woman in my mind under under nine legitimate. Ruth Jabet. I mean, the second there is two actually on the record books. Gunilma Garkina winning the 2008 Olympic gold medal for Russia. But if you think that's legal, well, then that's good for you. Um, you know, <laughs> Wait, didn't we have uh, Jep- nine? Ivan uh, ran nine flat point zero one last year, and um, I thought she later got on. She never made it under. Wow! I knew she ran the nine. I'm like, Wait, I, I, under, can I take nine? back my sub nine prediction? While well, last year in Maine is diamond opener, Jep Tomoy won in nine zero seven. Jebat ran nine fifteen ninety eight. So. You know, I mean, she's got to improve over 16 seconds on her PR from last year. I mean, from her season opener um, last year. Is, is is she the one person missing? Oh, she's in the Kayings in here. So, John, who's the one person from the top nine from the Olympics missing? Uh, it's Madeline Hills of Australia, and she is racing um... – she, I remember I was looking at the start list of one of the meets. She's either racing in Doha – no, which that wouldn't be right because that's the 800 is the other event. I believe she's racing at Peyton Jordan um, in one of the races there. So huh. she is racing this weekend, but not in steeple. And one thing to, you know, uh, God, I, I mean, you know, readers, to give you a little bit behind the scenes access, Jonathan Gall wrote the, wrote the preview. And then when I was editing it like one in the morning last night after watching my Baltimore Orioles lose, um, I made some predictions and started throwing them in there. I have to make bold predictions to try to shock people. But uh, I want to take some of these back. I said Jebet for the win. I think Jeb Kamoy is going to win this thing. I mean, she was fourth at Worlds Cross Country. So, so we know she's in fantastic shape, better shape than, you know, um, Jebet was just basically five or six weeks ago. So that would not shock me at all. I mean, what, what, what a great matchup. We've got all three of the Olympic medalists right there battling it out. Um, you know, and pe- people always say in the Diamond League, people dunk each other. I don't, re- it's honestly, I don't want to see this matchup every week because then it's like boring by the time you get to Worlds. But to, right. I think it's fantastic to have big matchups like this at the start and then have a break and then maybe, you know, you know maybe midway in the season you see half of them race each other and then another half, you know, and, and it just really, you know, makes it exciting. Um, but let's um, talk about the men's 3000 for a brief moment before we go to the Nike step two, we're 533. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special edition of let's run's Tarak talk. This is Robert Johnson, along with Jonathan Galt and Weldon Johnson. We're trying to get you ready for opening day diamond league action tomorrow in Doha. And then talk about Nike step two, maybe a little bit about Peyton Jordan, but this men's 3000, I mean, what a feel really. I mean, Paul Chalimo, Ben True, Mukhtar Edris, Yomit Kajelcha, um, Albert Ropp, Edwin Soy, God, I mean, who else is in there? Quemoy, Ronald, Ronald Quemoy, who uh, Renato Canova has anointed as the 2020 Olympic 5K champion. He says 100% chance that Quemoy wins the 5K in Tokyo. So, and that's true. And his, his 1500 speed is 
328. 328. You know, so if he's going to win the 5,000 in 2020 and he's already got the 328, are we giving him the 3,000 win tomorrow? Um, I mean, what do you know his 3,000 PR is, John? Uh, his 3,000 meter PR is 7.53. So I, I think that's just because he hasn't really raced the event. Um, but yeah, I mean, Canova has essentially told us that he thinks Quemoy has fantastic endurance um, and that, you know, it, it, it's actually interesting. Well, Quemoy has the exact same uh, 1,500 meter PR as Mo Farah. And Mo Farah is, of course, the 2016 Olympic champion in the 5,000 meters. So, you know, if he can get that, of course, I don't think Quemoy, even Quemoy probably doesn't have Mo Farah's endurance. But, uh, you know, he, he's obviously very, very talented. But, you know, look, look at the rest of the guys in this field. Paul Chalimo, he ran 7.42 indoors. He's, you know, looked like a stud ever since he got that Olympic silver. Yomik Tajelcha is, you know, essentially, you know, a 3K specialist. You know, he ran 7.28 last year. That was the fastest 3K since uh, 2011. You know, you've got but um, you got Ben True, who you know, you know, maybe he doesn't have quite the puzzle best as these other guys, but he won that very stacked uh, two mile at Milrose indoors, and you know, he he's a guy who I think if he's if he's there at the end of a race, you know, I, you can never count him out. Maybe that's just my dumbest bias shining through. There's Caleb and Deku, who you know, a couple of years ago we were thinking, okay, this this guy's the next big threat to Mo Farah. You know, you got silver at Worlds in 2015. He was the World Indoor Champion uh, at 3,000 meters in 2014. You know, the last couple of years, he's battled some injuries. He hasn't quite been to that level. But if he's, if he gets some consistent training under his belt, he's a guy who could factor in here. Mukhtar Edris won a couple of Diamond Leagues last year. It's, it's, and then, of course, uh, I haven't even mentioned this guy. There is an Olympic, reigning Olympic champion in the field at this distance. It's Conceslus Capruto, the steeplechaser. And he ran 7.44 uh, in 2012. That was back when he was 17 years old, according to his, you know, IAF birthday. You know, he's a, he's an incredible talent. You know, if you look at him, just how fast he goes over the hurdles, he's run eight flat over hurdles. So you figure that, you know, that's got to be worth somewhere in the low 730s. And then, you know, I just think he's, he's an exceptionally talented runner. So between all those guys, I mean, I feel like it's kind of hard to pick any of them over the others when we, we have such limited information, but, you know, Chalimo was very fit indoors, but he was also running, you know, in the U on the U S circuit, which he's, he's not, he hasn't, he didn't face anyone like this indoors. So uh, it's going to be a fantastic race. Yeah. Hey, we haven't actually, talked about Chalimo. didn't make the uh, Ethiopian Olympic team. I mean, he, he was the world champion indoors in the 3000. Then he was, you know, he runs 13.03, gets second in Stockholm, but then the Ethiopia screwed up federation where you have the fastest time going. You know, he tried to run again in Barcelona. He ran 13.06. Meanwhile, some guys, you know, it was just chaos. that They couldn't find the right race. If you're not in a race with the rabbits, you don't get to go to the Olympics. So I was thinking when I was watching the Olympic final, I mean, I guess Farrell was probably going to win no matter what. That's like his best event. But uh, I was like, you know, Kajelic probably would have medaled. Like, what a stupid decision. And But then... You know, the only thing that ruined my argument was the fact that uh, after the Olympics, he only got seventh in the Diamond League final, 13-19. But, you know, I, when I justified that in my brain, I was like, well, you know, maybe he wasn't motivated to train over the last three or four weeks when he, you know, wasn't at the Olympics. So, you know, it's a little bit hard on that front. But um, 
you know. Well, it, he ran the uh, he ran the seven twenty eight right off the Olympics. Um, that was that was in Paris. Oh, you're right. So I guess he was in good shape. Maybe he's just better at that three thousand distance. You know, one thing about Komoi and John, this would be a great, great article idea. Someone remind us of this, folks. I've never thought about this. You know, he's Japanese based, and I've I, like I'd love to know. Like, you know, I'm always wondering why more Kenyans don't come to America for college because they speak English in Kenya. But then, how do you, you know, how does the money work? And who who decides to take him to Japan? And how much do they get paid? And you know, he's won a 1324 in Japan, winning that. I mean, so, like, does he go to school over there? What did he do in Japan? I mean, you know, most of the corporate stuff is on the roads the longer. So I, I, I would be fascinated to know, you know, what, what, how that works. You know, he's only 21 years of age. He's a world junior record holder at 1500. I mean, I assume most colleges would be thrilled to have that type of kid on campus. Um, but uh, that would be kind of interesting to know, how, you know, how that all works. Yeah, Hello? it is interesting. Um, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. We, we can hear you. It's something okay. that is interesting. Hello? No, just making sure um, I haven't spotted a phone problems here and I'm in the middle of nowhere. But uh, I think you guys haven't talked enough about Paul Chalimo. I mean, an American Olympic silver medalist, the one guy who challenged Sarah in the 5K last year, sort of hung with him the final straight, one point kind of closing on him and you know it's kind of crazy because he started off the indoor season so great was talking about being undefeated and i think we're letting sort of you know a subpar what road race and world cross country was a bit disappointing you know was not a bit disappointing was disappointing sort of you know detract from what we're thinking indoors and like this guy could take it to another level this year it'll be i think it's really interesting to see what he does you know, on the track this year. He said he, his goal is to go undefeated. He's still undefeated on the track. Um, at the very least, he's due for a PR. Um, so, you know, I think for American fans, it's, it's sort of a big big thing to watch. Sort of, you know, what can he do? You know, not that what you do in May 5th matters what you do sort of August, uh, what, probably 10th. But... You know, last year this time of year, nobody even knew, well, very few people knew who Paul Trimo was. I mean, he'd done the world indoors, but he wasn't on anyone's radar as sort of, yeah. I didn't think his world relays was disappointing. I mean, he was disappointing to me that he wasn't in the senior race, that he was in the relay race. But, you know, he kind of lost, I feel like he lost some momentum. He goes to world relays, then I think it was the next weekend later. World cross, to call world cross, yeah. I mean, he, he will cross, and then he flies to Carlsbad, excuse me, for the 5K, and got smoked by Gabriel Mesco by 20 seconds um, in that race. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, I guess the, the um, you know, Jacksonville 15K, 15K is a little long for him. So, yeah, you're right. We should not be discounting him. I mean, he is certainly, you know, he's running 742 indoors. He's certainly got a hunt. I mean, certainly got a, you know, and he's run 1303. I mean, he ran that, God, in the Olympics. Um, was that fast of a race? How did it get going that fast? The Ethiopians <laughs> took it out. Uh, Gebra Mescal so, yeah. and uh, Gebrawet, that was their... That was, I was kind of thinking, like, well, he hasn't run fast yet, but I guess he has. So. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh-huh. cross-country was too disappointing. I mean, he ran the relay, was on the anchor, and the U.S. was sort of out of it by then. Um, but it was, you know, he flew to Kenya, trains a bit, then once he got into the race, flew back to 
to Carlsbad, run the 5K, and then flew back to Canada to train a little bit before now going to Doha. It just seems like, you know, if he'd known, hey, you're going to go run this world cross and be buried down a leg, it doesn't really matter. I think it would have made sense just to stay in the U.S. first. But, you know, props to all the WCAP guys for running world cross. It's good to have, you know, America's best taking on the world's best, and they definitely did that across country. But uh, and the, and, we should and keep the fans moving. Are, most of Let's Run.com are American, Americans. Most of our audience, about 80%, are Americans. And, and in our poll, they are voting for Paul Suleiman. He's the number one selection, but only 31% of the people are giving him the win tomorrow. Uh, Kajelcha is second at 18%, and then Kamoy at 13%. I really think those are probably the three. that oh, Caleb and Duke's in there, too. My God. I mean, this is sort of everybody, but not not, not Mill Fair, really. Uh, fascinating. I, I picked Kajelcha, um, but yeah, let's move on. All right. Well, there's one distance light race left, uh, and it is the men's 1500. I think we can maybe this one isn't quite as interesting. There's no Asbel Kiprop. There's no Nick Willis. There's no uh, Matthew Centuritz. So none of the Rio medalists are in this one. So maybe we, we just go through it quickly before moving on to, you know, Breaking 2 and, and Peyton Jordan. But, you know, you got, you got Ben Blankenship in there. He was an Olympic finalist. Uh, he's, you know, obviously he's been one of the top Americans the last couple of years. The guy I'm more interested to see, though, uh, I wrote about this in our preview, is Elijah Manangoy. You know, he was, you know, the silver medalist at Worlds in 2015. Last year, he's pretty much the number two guy behind uh, Asbel Kiprop on the Diamond League circuit. And... He just happened to get hurt, you know, I think it was during his first round race at the Olympics, and he had to, you know, DNS in the semis. Um, He's, you know, he's really, really talented, obviously. He's got a killer kick, you know. He was even closing on Kiprop uh, in Beijing two years ago. So he's back, and there's another Kenyan, Timothy Chariot, who, you know, would have made pretty much any Olympic team in the world, uh, but had the unfortunate, you know, distinction of being fourth in the Kenyan trial. Uh, but he, he looked great in the Diamond League. He won the Diamond League final last year. He didn't even make the Olympics. So those two, I think, are really the top guys to watch. But you've also got, you know, Ayane Suleiman. He's a proven commodity. Uh, he was fourth in Rio. So it should be a pretty interesting race. But Blankenship ran fast indoors. So, yeah, he was the U.S. mile champ. He ran 336 for 1,500 meters. So, uh you know, interesting to see how well he does, and the battle up top between Chariot and uh, Manangoy should be pretty good. Pretty good. Should be a good one, even without Olympic gold medalist Matthew Centrowitz. Got to say that every once in a while. Um, but you know, the 1500 sort of on the international level, there's so many good guys right now. Um, it's sort of I don't know. Just kind of depends on what type of race they make it. You know, uh, kind of curious to see what Ben Blankenship's going to do in May 5th. You know, he's flying a long way to run. run so, you know, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I really like the American guys flying over and taking a shot at it. Uh, well, I, I certainly, one thing about flying over, I think it's really smart for something like Charlene, Charlene Lipsy. I mean, you know, before this race, there's no way. She, before this year, there's certainly no chance she'd even get a lane in a diamond league. So she runs well indoors, puts up the number two time in the world, I think. So you know they probably want an American. They ask her to come. She's really smart to go over there because then if she puts up a good time, she can get into the diamond league for the rest of the season. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's uh should be a good one. And I uh, uh, we have found this out. Every Diamond League meet this year will be on live television in the United States. We can confirm that either on Universal, uh, excuse me, either on NBCSN or Universal HD. Um, those are both in the NBC network. There's also now this year, first time ever, an NBC Gold Pass for I think $59, and they have a bunch of track races you can watch, including World Championships on demand. If you're more into that, but you got cable TV, Diamond League this year, and on the more prominent uh, NBC family of networks and they're going to have a couple races on you know regular NBC so, so I think some of those might be taped away some maybe the final and stuff they could try to do live but uh a little more exposure for the Diamond League this year which is great because it's tracks it's a major league track and field and uh you know for the sport to grow we got to reach new fans and that means for the time being tracks got to be on TV so let's move to the sub two talk, guys. If you're just joining us, this is Robert Johnson, Let's Run.com. You're listening to a special edition of Track Talk Live with Jonathan Galt and Weldon Johnson. We've just finished talking about the Doha Diamond League. Uh, if you missed first that part, the, first just the sponsors plug. If you just missed it and, and want to listen, to, catch it up later. When the show's done, you can download it and listen to the part that you missed. So don't worry about that. Sponsors plug. All right, who's the sponsor? This edition of Track Talk is brought to you by RunPro.com. Uh, it's a good resource. If, you know, if you're thinking of running pro after college or you're out of college and sort of, you know, want to take it to the next level, uh, the Roadrunners Club of America, uh, they got a website called runpro.com, and they also have a camp coming up um, next month. You can apply. It's free. They have grants to go. It just sort of, you know, helps you introduce you to agents and what you should look for and that sort of thing. Um, gives you some realistic expectations of you know, what it's like to try to be an Olympic runner, pro runner. Um, so it's a great resource that the RRCA puts on. So you, someone else, you know, knows a college senior, you know, you know, I don't know, like I got out of college. I wanted to keep running. Uh, there was no way I thought I'd be running pro, but the more resources, the better, because I just sort of winged it. Um, but you could argue I never was a pro. But, uh, yeah, let's let's turn to the – the I don't know the Nike sub two attempt. Um, it's interesting. I'm at this wedding, uh, driving with my parents in the car and sort of asking them what what time this rehearsal dinner was tomorrow. Um, and then I tell them about the sub two attempt and my dad thought it was interesting. And then he said, "How many guys are going for it?" And I said, "Well, really one." And you know, it's it's an exhibition race for one guy, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not sure why the other two guys are even in there. But uh, where do we begin? Maybe like I don't know. We probably assume everyone here at this point knows the uh, details, but that might be assuming too much. We got some more casual visitors listening. Who wants to sort of give just the basics, the facts, what's going on here? I, I I can run for it real quick. I mean, so the race is going down. It's 5:45 a.m. Uh, local time on Saturday morning, which is 11:45 p.m. Uh, Friday night for the U.S. Uh, which is the same exact time as the good races at Peyton Jordan, which is uh, inconvenient if you're a track fan, we'll say that. But uh, the the basic idea, there is there's 18 paces. Uh, they'll be running, there'll be six paces in front of them at all times following a car. And it looks like, I saw a video of this, the car looked as if it had lasers coming out of the back that sort of project onto the road that show you exactly where the paces should be running. So that was kind of interesting. 
Um, but they'll, they'll be six at all times, and they just be subbed out. They'll run two laps at a time, then get subbed out. They're running in groups of three. So six groups of three, two groups on the track at all times. And essentially they're just going, you know, they're running at this at the uh, Monza Auto Racing Track in Italy, which hosts the, uh, has hosted the Italian Grand Prix in the past in Formula One. Uh, it's pretty flat. It's a loop of 2.4 kilometers, so about a mile and a half. And, you know, it, it's uh, generally, so it's almost an oval. There's sort of a little, it's an oval on one side, and then the other side there's sort of a jagged little thing, but it's not much of it. It's not a serious turn. It's almost entirely flat, I think 18-foot net elevation change. So, you know, essentially they're manicuring all the, they're trying to make all the conditions as good as possible, you know, they're going to be following the exact two-hour pace. Uh, they're going to be running it flat. It's going to be about low 50s Fahrenheit uh, during the race, maybe getting up to the mid-50s. Doesn't look like there'll be much wind. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm sure that if you're listening to this podcast or slash radio show, you probably are familiar with the basics of the tent. But that's it. And it's Elliot, Elliot Kipchoge, the Olympic marathon champion, Zosine Tedesse, the off marathon world record holder and Lisa DeCisa, two-time Boston Marathon champion. Those are the three men uh, who will actually be trying to run under two hours. Yeah, you know. So, John, how many laps are there total? It's going to be seventeen and a half laps, I believe. So, you know, seventeen and a half laps, and there's one, two. Three. I mean, there's four turns per lap. I mean, I'm going to go off and let me start. I am totally opposed to this whole thing. It's driving me nuts. I'm very much a critic of it. I think John's probably the most positive on our staff about this thing. But, you know, the idea that, oh, we want to break two, so, you know, we're so brilliant. You know, we're, we're going to set up this thing, and everyone's just going to break two. You know, to me, it's insulting to, to the runners. It's arrogant on Nike's part. And it just, I mean, come on. It's like, yeah, I wanted to win a gold medal, too. And just because we, we said it was going to happen, it never happened. I mean, you can't just make things up, you know. So, I mean, the idea that we're going to take three minutes off the world record because they get better pacing, to me, is absurd. Or better weather. I mean, better weather, we basically already had perfect weather in Berlin. And we're talking about the turns. Well, they're doing 17 laps with three turns each. 17 times three is 51. I mean, go look at the Berlin map. There's probably not 51 turns in that There's entire no course. There's no turn. It's a gradual turn. There's no need to be turned. There's a, it's similar to running on a, on a large track. Yeah, there's one 90-degree turn, kind of. Right, John? Well, I mean, yeah, it's, at the top. It, but it's like, it's like running on a, on a two-and-a-half, 2.4-kilometer track. The time, you know, that, it's very, very gradual. I don't think it's going to impact you as much as some of those tons of Berlin. But I do agree, in general, I don't think they're going to pick up much time, if, it, if any, uh, on the tons. You know, I mean, the turns, yeah. I mean, maybe... I mean, Berlin's got about 15 or 16 hard turns, but Berlin is basically one giant circle. If you look at if you look at the Berlin map, I mean, there's 90 degree turns in there. But if you, if you count up the hard turns, then you know there's probably 16 or 17. So yeah, I mean, maybe you save some ground turns. To me, the, the place where they're going to save the most ground is the is the um, you know, they don't have to get slow down to get their water bottles. They don't have to run off the side to get their water bottles. They can have a guy drive up in the truck next to them and hand them the water bottles. Um, you know, but I, I got an argument with some rando stranger guy on Sage Kennedy's Facebook page today, Ultra Runner Sage Kennedy. He's like, you know, I really think that the that the, that the electric car 
Now, the electric car has a giant scoreboard on top of it. People, Some people are saying that it's going to be so close to the runners, there's going to be some drafting effect from the car. But the car's not really running that fast. So, I mean, it might help the rabbits a little bit. Um, but to, to me, it's what just like, you know, I, I, I think, like, the best way to think about this is, okay, do you think if we optimize, you know, the, the pacing and the weather that we're ready for? John did the improvement. John did, came up with a nice chart in, in our preview of this race. If you go to the homepage and, and read our preview, it's, we're asking for a 2.41% improvement on the marathon world record. So if you look at the other events, I mean, some of this is just laughable. Do you think we're ready for a 25, 39, 10,000? The 12, 19, 5,000? How about a 138, 800? The answer is, of course not. So it's not going to be any different here. The only difference is it's going to be interesting for a while because people are going to be like, yeah, he's on pace. He's, he's halfway. You know, I don't know why they're doing it in the middle of the morning. I mean, they're doing it in the middle of the morning for the weather, but, you know, it's not like they're getting press buzz at 3 in the morning here. But if it was, you know, there'd be a big audience, you know. But you got to remind yourself, you got to use common sense, people. It's like an 800. Just because some high school kid can break two, you know, and, and certainly L.A. Kipchoge can easily break an hour and a half marathon. He's run 58. Um, I think he could probably run 58-something. Well, you know, but if you run 158 and 800, does that mean you can break four minutes in a mile? Of course not. You need to run about 148 and 800 to, 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 to break a four-minute mile. So, you know, like everyone can, you know, they'll get to 30K. Um, but to me, the real interesting thing and, and the reason why I may stay up um, is oh, I, I want to see if he, he just runs till he drops or if he backs off the pace because – it's fascinating from a psychological standpoint. I mean, to me, it's almost abuse on him to think that he's just going to maintain this pace. And also the other two, how do they train for this? How do you get excited about training for this when you know you're not going to do it? So, well, Kipchoge. Uh, we a couple of times. John and I went to Kenya. We met with Kipchoge. Um, maybe I can produce some highlights of this interview with him. He was very confident. It came across that sometimes he's very confident on breaking two. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. We're like, what? And then later, you know, John pointed out, sort of, he said, hey, when did you first think of breaking two? And he's like, oh, and, you know, at the end of the year when they told me about it. And then another time he said, oh, I've always thought I could break two. So there were different stories conflicting. And you kind of wonder, hey, has he been coached a bit about what to say with the media? And one of our Kenyan journalists there with us was saying sort of Kipchoge gave the impression to him, sort of it was more of a, I don't know, sort of something, you know, Nike wanted him to do. Um, so you kind of heard, we did not hear that ourselves, that's third hand. So, you know, but when, when I was very surprised when he just said, yes, I think I could do this. And uh, the assistant coach sort of said the same thing. And, you know, Nike's getting what it wants, right? People are talking about this. Um, in fairness, I'm very intrigued to see how fast LA Kipchoge can run a marathon. Um, you know, minimized conditions, perfect conditions, what can LA Kipchoge do in the marathon? That's great. That's of great interest to me. Um, but that's not exactly what this is. They're changing the rules. And that's a bit problematic. Um, it'd be much better if they had this event. You could have an event every year like this. Because uh, also, I didn't know about the lasers on the car. I'm like, wait, they're having all these pacers? That's just a marketing thing for Nike. Why don't they get a car or a robot, shield the wind, and just go two-hour pace? Um, in some ways, that's kind of what they're doing. They have the runners breaking the wind. It looks better for optics. So I didn't know about the lasers because the laser is going to set a pace way better than a person. The person can just follow the laser. But, you know, Robert said, oh, can they take off three minutes of pacing? 
And that tend to take us three minutes of pacing. Some's with pacing, improve a little with pacing, improve a little bit with no turns, improve a little bit with perfect weather. That's why they're starting at 5.45 a.m. And then the, and for pretty much nearly every exercise person, physiologist says, that's not enough. We're not close to sub two. Even Elliot Kipchoge is not breaking it. I mean, no one's run under 101 in a, for a half in a full marathon. But just to pretend that, like, the weather is the problem with that, if these guys could throw down an hour in a marathon, they would have by now. It is pretty preposterous. But then that leaves the shoe. And that's actually kind of what Nike wants to have. And people think, oh, well, this shoe, we can do it. And uh, I don't know. Even my dad, my dad's like, well, it's, it's Nike. The scientists are going to know all this stuff. And that's sort of the fallacy that and I think they've got very smart engineers at Nike, but sort of that, that their guys are so much smarter than everyone else. I mean, the last right. four records have all come from Adidas runners and Adidas shoes. Uh, Kipchoge's the guy. I was telling my dad how he ran the 204 marathon in Berlin with his shoe flapping out. One of the most amazing runs ever. My dad right. couldn't believe it. That's so, a good point, Weldon. And, 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 and the guy apparently in charge of this shoe was the guy who made the Adidas shoe. So they just bought the guy from Adidas and brought him over. You know, and, and that's the myth. These people who are so smart, they're going to invent chop three minutes off. These are the same people that just possibly cost Kipchoge a, a world record because the, the heel of his shoe popped out. And also maybe it cost Kennedy Bikila to London Marathon because he had blisters in his shoe. I mean, come on. If they're so smart, how, how could they have those two screw-ups? It's amazing to me. Um, that the, like, it's, it's I mean, smart people, people make think, mistakes. The curious thing, yeah, to me is I'd love to see a race actually like this open to people every year or, you know, maybe every three years. The winner is who goes sub two pace the longest. And no, we don't think he's going to make it. 20 miles people are sort of saying it's like, that's what John, let's run.com running expert, John Kellogg, who because of the weather predicted the 203 marathon in Boston a few years ago um, when, you know, nobody thought that was possible. He's saying Kipchoge can go about 20 miles at sub two pace. So the big question for me Unless something, there is something crazy in these shoes that have never been worn in a race before. And Nike's also doing a genius thing. You know, they talk about the, rate, the shoes worn in Rio in these 4% shoes. That's a different shoe than what Kipchoge's running. They, the shoes they're actually selling to people aren't the shoes Kipchoge's running. So there's a chance maybe they would do something more illegal with these shoes. Who knows what's going on? Um, but people go out and buy the other shoes. So for marketing, Nike's the best. They're really good. And, they're, you know, they're, they're amazing at supporting high-performance athletes. But the question for me is, once Kipchoge, we all agree he's not going to do it. Once he feels the burn, does he back off the pace, or does he see how far he can run two-minute pace? Uh, And and that's probably my number one complaint about this whole thing. We've been kept, you know, they've given exclusive access to a few people. They've been, those people apparently haven't been asking the right questions. It's like, you know, we don't know. Is he under instructions to run sub two until he drops out and falls off, or do they still want to get the world's best? Because if you're going to get the world's best, it'd be smarter just to go out and run one-on-one for the first half. And then we don't really know what's in these shoes. We're supposed to be told, you know, you read out touches in a runner's world, and you're told, well, they're not that much different than Adidas. Just trust us on it. So, like, we don't we, – we, we were sort of given morsel and morsel of information slowly and slowly. Let's get it all out here. And, like, we were told, okay, it's not going to be record eligible. Okay, it's going to be down a mountain. No, they decided to run it on a flat course. But, but you know, for some reason they have pacers. Why are they even bothering with pacers? Why don't they just get a truck with a wind tunnel? I mean, I don't get it. I don't even get why we need humans to run it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'd rather have a machine run the, like a metronome. I mean, it would probably not mess look worse, Robert. He's running behind a car. What? It looks better with people. It looks more like a race if he's running behind people. You have to jump in, jumping in, jumping out. It looks more like a traditional race, even though this isn't one. Um, 
he runs right behind a car. People are like, oh, that's unfair assistance. He runs behind people, oh, hey, that's what they do all the time. Um, but then also if Nike said, hey, we're going to give him water bottles, have a legal pacing, and take out the turns, and he's going to break the record, the average public wouldn't care as much. You know, we're, we're doing... No, I would have been fine if they'd said that one. From what they're doing... I would have been fine. They just said we're gonna have patients hopping in and out. I don't. I could care less. I think it's sort that a woman's world record doesn't count unless she has a woman only in the race. I mean, to me, it's like a pacer is a pacer. It's, it's stupid. It's a stupid concept. Like, if you have more money, you can hire a better pacers so they can go longer with you. So I don't have a problem really pacers popping in and hopping out. To me, that I've never really had a problem with that. I mean, I feel like I used to have pacers hop in, hop out all the time when I was doing time trials at Cornell. So. I, I don't have a problem with that. I just like I don't like the way it was sort of, you know, not upfront and told to everybody. So they sort of, I mean, it was a master manipulation of like let's give a little bit of information, a little bit of information, so people keep talking about it. You know, and it's worked. I mean, it certainly has. Um, <clears throat> but you know, one person, someone on Facebook made a good point. They were saying like they're like this person's like I don't think they're going to do it, and someone's like why? Like, Even the drafting helps a lot. He's like well, I think the crowd noise. There's going to be no crowd noise. How is that going to help them? You know, there, there's going to be nobody there to cheer them on. I think yeah, the one thing. Very different with perfect pacing, not throwing for water. They're sort of used to doing that every once in a while. If they're behind people the whole time, Kachogi's not used to that. Um, you know, it'll be different. Uh, I don't even know why the other two guys are in the race, to be honest. Um, but, John, I don't know. A couple of things interesting. You know, we saw the workout with Chip Choge. This race is so early in the morning, but that workout, we got there at 6.15 in the morning. They were warming up before the sun came up. So if anyone is used to running very hard, like at this time of the day, it's Elliot Kip Choge. But sort of, I don't know, we'll give a little more insight on, you know, your impressions of meeting him and sort of, I don't know, what, what it made you think about this. Yeah, well, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, I thought it was just hard to get a read on him in that interview that I did with him. He seemed pretty guarded. Uh, he, he wasn't, you know, he wanted to put on a good face for Nike, uh, that he was doing this, that he was going to be confident. I think that's one of the reasons you haven't really heard them talk about what's going to happen if things go wrong. They don't want to acknowledge that something could go wrong, but, you know, they don't want to say, oh, if he falls off the pace. You know, saying if, that suggests, it's going to happen. It could happen. They don't want to think that way, even though it probably will. But yeah, I don't know that workout. I mean, I think it's one thing to get up. I know plenty of athletes will get up and maybe we'll have like, you know, a very quick snack or something and then go out and, and run a workout or maybe they can run a workout in the morning on an empty stomach, but you can't run a marathon on an empty stomach. So to get up to run a marathon, you know, we have global marathons starting at 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m., but 5.45 is definitely the earliest I've heard. And so how much is that going to affect his sleeping patterns? I don't know he's not a guy who, you know, he usually goes to bed, I think, around 9 p.m. anyway. So he'll probably get a decent amount of sleep. But, yeah, like you said, if anyone is more is prepared to run a marathon at 6 in the morning, it's him. But that's still probably not the ideal time you draw up. Um, but in general, I mean, I don't know. I think this – I'm not a huge fan of the attempts. When I first heard rumblings that this was going to happen last fall, uh, I thought this was dumb. I thought I wanted to see the Kayla versus Kipchoge in London. Uh, obviously, I knew at the time there was no guarantee that 
either or both were going to be in amazing shape for it. But if that was the case, that's the matchup I wanted to try to see. So I don't really like – like, I feel like if we were 10 or 20 years down the road and someone's run 201 or something like that, then you could – I'm okay with having this attempt go down and saying, hey, we're going to take a realistic shot at it. Right now, it's, people have been saying it's more of a moonshot, and that, that really implies well, – I, I guess I don't really know what that's meant to imply because we did make it to the moon, but I think it's, it's quite unlikely um, that it happens. But I, I, at the same time, I, like, you know, if I had the choice, could I, would I rather see Choge race in London or see him do the sub two attempt. I would have rather seen him race in London, but I'm undeniably intrigued by it. Like I've been gobbling up all the information on it. I, I want to watch this and see what he can do because like you, like you said, well, then I just think seeing what the world's greatest marathoner, I think in my opinion, the greatest marathoner in history in his prime can do in a marathon with all these variables optimized, you know, that to me is very compelling and I would like to see what he can do. The only issue is uh, I think they can optimize all these variables, but if you have him go out at 60 flat pace and all he can handle is, you know, 61 flat pace, you know, that's, that could really screw things up because he goes out in 60 flat. And, you, you know, maybe you could get a Mary Katani situation where he still runs very, very fast, but he's not going to run as fast as he possibly can because he's going out at 60 flat pace, which is just fundamentally unsustainable. Yeah, but we haven't talked about David Mutanya. Is he going to run, John? Oh yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. He's not a Nike athlete, is he? Uh, that's a problem. Um, that's a joke. Elliot, Elliot while uh, we visited him, we, we did a Maple Fools joke, and uh, if you saw, didn't see it on the website, Elliot went along with it. It was pretty funny. Um, we, we can't play audio on today's show, but you know, he said uh, there's this guy, David, who beats him in all these races and was a, you know, didn't like to race, but everyone knew that uh, David was the, was the best guy in uh, Kenya. But uh, props to Elliot for doing that. It'll be interesting to see what he does. Robert, can you let in some callers? Looks like if you guys want to get on and sort of discuss Yeah, this, I can. I but while y'all were Before doing we go that, on to I was uh, surfing around the Internet. I, I first I saw a monkey with a machine gun video on Facebook. It's pretty entertaining, by the way. Then I finally <laughs> found, what, found what I was looking for. I hope I didn't start laughing out loud. Um, in 2013, I wrote an article called The Myth of the Sub-Two-Hour Marathon because I, I remember thinking, making some prediction and I didn't think I'd see it in my lifetime. But, you know, basically we, we said, are we ready for a 12, 25, 36, 10, 10, 10K, which, you know, no, of course not. But even then, and John quoted Ross Tucker in our piece, but Ross Tucker in 2013, this was his quote, my opinion is different. I told a colleague, unless he can figure out how to cryogenically freeze someone, maybe in 80 years, he has no hope of seeing that happen. So, I mean, you know, Ross was with me way back then saying it's way, way, way off, and I still think he thinks it's, like, way off now. I mean, you know, it took 28 years for the marathon to come down three and a half minutes from 207.12 to 203.38, and you certainly would think it would be slowing down the farther we go. Um, yeah, we can right. take some callers. Um, I think guest number 51 wants to talk. You know, he actually, now he's complaining, saying this sucks and is boring. Before, he wanted to talk about um, Evan Jager. At, I mean, excuse me. I think he wanted to talk about Eric Jenkins at the um, at the uh, 
No, hung it up. Peyton hung Jordan up. me, but actually he's no longer is his caller. He must have logged off. Angry. Guess forty fifty one if you want to come back in. If you want to call, call in, in, you can dial uh what's the number, Robert? You have to call seven two four 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 seven four 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 and her call ID seven two six five five pound. You have to enter a pen, a pen maybe. Six it's seven, seven, the the pen. chat window, I believe. One of the pins from Minnesota guy wants to talk. Or have to ask. Central Minnesota. Also, also, the one I'm thing is, one more thing on this. And Ross Tucker was saying, you know, cryogenically. But now, sort of Nike's taking out some of the variables, right? The one thing that is different with the marathon and the track is in track races way more often. You get a lot more races with good conditions and repeatable weather. Um, so there's less variables. So Nike is taking out some of these variables, which are legal to take some of them out. Others are illegal. But isn't the point sort of to see that if man with the current technology and what you call it, yes, she's progressed, tracks have changed. But, you know, let's say we found a real super bouncy road or a downhill road and someone did it. Like, so what? Who cares? And that was one thing, John, from our time in Kenya. Um, I don't remember the exact quote, but we were having lunch with uh, Brother Cole McConnell, the famous Kenyan coach at uh, St. Patrick's High School who coaches David Rudisha and, and has coached hundreds of runners. Um, and we, you know, asked him about this, and he said, so what? You know, or then what? I forgot what he said. He was like, so what or then what? Because he may go sub two. Then what? Because it's not a competition, and it's fake conditions in some ways, right? Like he, he pointed out, he's like, look, David Rudisha, maybe in a straight line, running behind a machine, could have broken 140 and 800. But he goes, that's not what we measure. We measure an 800 in legitimate conditions in a race. And this, this, this is something completely different of it. And so I'm all for pushing the limits in the world record, but that's what the world record is supposed to represent. So if it's just because of some new technology that someone does it or some variable that you've changed that others don't have, you know, it, to me it goes a little bit against the purity of the sport. I think that's where Nike sort of differs than us. Like they've shown very little interest in having clean sports. Um, I mean, they, they may speak for it, but they don't go out of their way to go overboard to demand clean sport from their athletes. This, their genius lab never knew Lance Armstrong was doping, or if they did, it's even worse. So I think sort of some of them have a different winner-take-all attitude. Um, I very much support seeing what Elliot Kipchoge can do, but now, you know, they're taking away too many of these variables. Or, I, I don't know. Um, and open it up to other athletes as well, I think, would be the best way to do this. But I'm definitely watching tomorrow night. Um, I'm kind of curious. I hope it just goes two hours as long as possible, see what happens. We may have a contest in which one. Predict, like, when he falls off pace, and we, I don't know how we define that, maybe 30 seconds off pace. Um, I guess you could also predict his finishing time. Yeah, I think a contest where you we predict the exact mile where he falls more than 30 seconds. Is it more than 30 seconds, or you wait till he's 30 seconds behind? Because you know, if you're uh, projected. Ten- yeah, I mean, early on he could be 30 seconds off. He's just off a little bit, but yeah, is he 30 seconds off the two-minute pace, or his projected finishing time is above two flat 30? I don't know how we do it. We could, we could think about that. If you've got any ideas, email us. We'll put in the chat box. Um, Robert, looks like I'm trying to bring on a caller. What's going on here? 
Well, I'm not sure. Central Minnesota, if you'd like to be on the call, I'm going to unmute you. Three. Hey, hung up. Oh. Central Minnesota got scared. Oh. Some people that are gun shy. Um, we could talk about the most important meet. We have, we were going to talk a little about about the Peyton Jordan meet, but I'm sure there's a lot of people like me who have spent an entire week getting ready. Folks, if you want to listen to broadcast journalism at its excellence, Bill Spalding and I will be broadcasting on Sunday from Ivy League Championships. Um, you can listen to it on Ivy League Digital Network, or if you already subscribed to FlowTrack, it actually will be on there for some reason. Not making me well, happy. Well, Habs is on the call, and he probably knows all about the Habs. Well, no, that's going to bring on Habs. Uh, okay, there we go. Habs, how confident are you? I'm a little bit worried. I dedicated 10 years of my life to creating the juggernaut known as the Cornell Track and Field Program. And since the oh. moment I stepped, stepped on that campus, the Cornell University men's track and field team has been in the top two at Habs for 14 straight years, folks. When I show up, excellent results. And the longest streak in the history of the Ivy League was started in 1935. Uh, the Hexagonal Championships was started in 1935, so that's 82 years, if my math is still good. Um, that streak may end because how confident are you that you Penn men can get in the top two? Yeah, I'd say, um, I, mean, I said it last year too, but uh, I think we're we're in prime position to maybe upset, upset that this year. Um, if you look at, uh, they just did the uh, the scoring based on season best. And obviously that's that's always kind of tough, especially in the distance events. You know, the season best for like things like the 10K or whatever, it's never going to be accurate. But um, I don't know. I mean, we have got you know that sort of momentum going off from uh, cross country still, and uh, indoors. You know, Penn always tends to treat that as more of like a prep for outdoors. So I'd say it's not really uh, you know. But we did have some good performances there nonetheless. So. Um, I know. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be there for the second day. Um, now, which also, of these other meetings are you most excited for? say we. This is have, – what's your real name? Harry. Harry Prevor. That's right. This is Harry Prevor, a Penn student, the inventor of the Letron.com track bot on the forum. Um, apparently, he never has class. But, you know, it is late now. We have five finals tomorrow. No classes right now. Cause, uh, finals. I forgot. Finals week. You pay, what, 60 grand a year to go to college now? And, you know, you don't go to school after May. That's how it always works. College is great. Kids, if you're in college and you're complaining about training, going to school, come on. It's a joke. The only thing easier is working at Lexon.com. We have very flexible schedules. Uh, we work when we want to. But we work hard. But, you know, it's like college, you know. You can We'll be working tomorrow night, folks. So, Harry, which uh, are you into sub two? Are you excited about it? Um, are you yeah, so, like, so, um, yeah, I'll start about sub two, I guess. I guess, uh, really, for me, like, this is all about credibility of the um, of the mark when they said it. Because I do think, like, you know, I think there's maybe about a 50% chance that at least he breaks the world record. What we, know that's a, we didn't even talk about that. That's a real problem, yeah. does, in my opinion. Um, and and that's, that's what I think also is a real problem. Because, like, if he breaks the world record, which I would say might even be likely, you know, just because of all these, these things that they're, they're optimizing, like, what does that really mean for the sport? Like, with that new mark, let's say he runs 202.30, which I think is, like, very possible, and I think you guys would agree with that. Like, would that be considered legitimate now? I mean, obviously, the IAAF is not going to certify it. But, like, now, like, when we're watching other big city marathons or, like, at Berlin, are the commentators now going to say, 
oh, well, they only went through, you know, the half marathon in 61.30. At the sub two project, they went through it in 59.50. Like, you know, now is that going to have like a new standard um, for for our splits at least? Um, and also, like, and now is everyone going to be like, well, because obviously, you know, what the IAAF decides as the record is not necessarily the same as what we decide. And I think we sort of had this when um, when there was the, the 203 low at uh, Boston in 2011, and it wasn't a world record. But then people still, like, considered that mark to be the record. And so, like, even in marathons where it wasn't, like, applicable to compare it, people were still going, like, well, the splits were off from this. And so I think that, like, you know, that's the real danger is that it's likely that they will break the world record, and now people will consider that mark legitimate, and people will be trying to break it on record courses where the variables are just not the same. They're not going to have the same pacing, not going to have the same shoes. Well, I guess maybe the shoes, but same water and hydration and that sort of thing. So is it good for the sport, I would say, if they if they break the world record? Um, That's why I'm, yeah, I'm rooting for a blow You pointed out Boston record. because, you know, I was thinking mm-hmm. about that as well. I'm like, well, no one, no one considered Jeffrey Mutai's 203.02 2011 a world record. People would, a few people yeah. would talk about it. I think it probably depends on more how hard, hard, hardcore you were. If you considered it legitimate, most of us knew it wasn't. But there were a few Kenyan guys mm-hmm. I remember who said like, "Oh yeah, that's the time I want to beat now." So I guess it's up to the individual. Um, you know, some people. It is kind of interesting that, you know, three years later that mark was broken in a real race. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think with these. Con- Conditions, there's any question that Kipchoge at his best can't break the record. I mean, he ran 203.05 in London. How much? Here's a question, Robert. How much faster do you think Berlin is than London? Mm-hmm. I mean, he ran 203.05. You give him at least 30 I would say seconds? It's worth at least 30 seconds, yeah. So you're already at 202.30 for Kipchoge, but, you know, to get down to two, two minutes, another two and a half minutes. Is, I don't know. Yeah. It's weird you think that because when I was talking to John Kellogg about it, he spent a lot of time on cycling. He knows a lot about drafting. He just didn't seem – I said, what about that? I, I was saying that. You know, he, we know he's better than them, so he can run 202.30, and then you put him on this course, it's 202, and then he doesn't have to stop for the water, it's 201.30, and then he's got the rabbits the whole way. And, and the rabbits the whole way didn't really impress Kellogg because – He's like, well, they already had rabbits in Berlin for 30K. So he's like, he can't make it much more than 30K at that pace anyway. So having the rabbits for that. The pacing's going to be way more consistent with the lasers. I didn't know about the lasers, but I just figured the pacing, they'd have a clog at a certain pace and try to emulate that. I didn't know they're going to have lasers. I think that helps a lot. It's going to be a perfect pace. We'll find out how much of a difference that makes. I mean, what if it really made, like, I don't know, a minute difference or something? But there's no reason to really think it's going to make that much of a difference. Maybe the better drafting because. I uh, saw some article, it might have been on Runner's World, um, saying, you know, that there is a drafting effect behind the cars, uh, even though sort of proportion to how wide the car is and how far back. So, but some of that, asked, then they actually pointed out, well, the lead vehicle at the marathon may be providing that as well, although those cars are sort of varying the pace. They're not programmed with a laser to go a certain pace, um, but they are sort of breaking the wind. There is a counter-argument put out by Ross Tucker that you may not want too much drafting. You want you may want some cooling effect from some slight wind, which is, you know, there's unintended consequences with everything. So, I don't know. We, we spent 40 minutes talking about it. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad we let off with Doha because we, we could talk about the sub-2 forever. 
Yeah, I actually think it's kind of similar to this IAAF proposal that's like, oh, we're going to wipe the world records from pre-2005. Like, and that's kind of, you know, I feel like that's kind of dangerous because then like, yeah, like if they wipe the world records from 2005 and then people still consider those legitimate, like, I don't know, it just, it just, well, we'll see how people react to it. There's no way well, to right. predict it. Right, and the problem it. with 2005 is you still get some that are highly suspect. Uh, John and I had a long discussion about this, you know, on the phone this week, and I'm fine with getting rid of them. If you want to acknowledge that some of those drugs are tainted and never going to be beaten, I, I think the 2005 is, is ludicrous. You know, I think, you know, I think Martin Bingsinger has, we have, we have his website, a link to it, the article online. He makes a good point. He's not opposed to it, but he's like, look, if we're going to do it, first of all, you got to wipe all the records off, and you only do it when you're certain that the drug testing is going to catch everybody, or virtually everybody. So I would almost say, like, you wait till like, three years to get the drug testing way better than it is now. And then I would almost say, like, okay, if you're going to break a world record, we need to know, like, a year in advance, and we're going to test you, like, out of competition, like, twice a month. So we're going to have, like, you know, like, do it for 12 months before and then do it for six months after. I mean, I, I know obviously some people come into form quickly and stuff and don't know they're going to break the world record, but you could have like, you know, if you have 36 tests over the span of, you know, a year and a so half. You're, but you're calling out everyone now who's regularly tested is clean? I mean, come on. I think it would be really, well, Listen. you could microdose, but it would be really hard to do something totally crazy. Right, but... Did you, by the way, did y'all know that people were doping? You know, people always think it's recent. Did you know that the 1956 Olympic hamper champion, or 54, when were the Olympics? 54, 56, 56, I guess. He admitted to being a steroid. Surprised. I didn't know that. Drugs have been, been around for a long people, time. Mankind is full of sinners, dude. People will cheat with his money, prestige, anything involved. People were cheating back in the 1400s and foot races with that. Or trying to. Who knows what, you know, hey, eat this goat. It's got special powers. May not have been helping him, but. Um, okay, good. Well, we got a caller from Idaho. Maybe he wants to join us. Idaho, if you want to join the call, I'm going to unmute you. You can speak. Idaho, going once. Idaho, are you there? Idaho's shy. I don't know, speak right now. Uh, well, it's good. I need to go because I need I have things to do. I, I have only this Wait, we had got to get a little Peyton Jordan talk. Now at least a 5K? Oh. You're not, we're not There's, done yet. People are excited about Peyton Jordan because they know the people's names. Um, all right, well, we can talk Peyton Jordan. I mean, the problem I have with Peyton Jordan is, for most people, it's just about getting the time. It's not really a race. Um, I and mean, when you got Matthew Shunswich running the B heat, I mean, yeah. On. Can I say one? Can I say something yeah. about that? All right, Matthew Shunswich, he's the reigning Olympic champion. He's the first American man to win a gold medal at a distance event since 1972. Frank Shorter. He's the first American man to win the 1500 since 1908. This is his first outdoor track race in the United States since winning that gold medal. It will be in the B heat of a of this race in California. I mean, it's just crazy that his first outdoor track race on U.S. soil since winning that gold medal, and he's running in the B heat. I mean, maybe he wants to stay undefeated. But if it's the A, would it make well, that no, much but, of a difference? It's well, not like you, we're going to have time. Salazar getting a lot of publicity. Salazar reminded it, me of John. When, when I met Salazar, he reminded me of John Kellogg. It was unlimited money resources. I mean, he does what's best for the athlete to win the race. 
He's not caring about promoting the sport or, you know, whatever. I mean, Sintowitz didn't even run the Milrose games. He promotes the sport very well, though, by racing his guys, Robert. I will give him that much. These guys race a lot more than, I would say, some of the Well, they race, but, he, you know, it right. was a disgrace. But that is secondary. Didn't want to make it miles. Indoors, he ran two miles. You know, I mean, it's not about putting on a family-friendly thing. Even when I was coaching at Cornell, though, I went to one of these meets. I was there for 12 hours. It was bored in my mind. I was watching, like, the second heat of the women's JV 500 go off. And I was like, this is just so unfan-friendly. And someone's like, yeah, that's not our job. You know, our job is not to do that. So, I mean, I don't know. It's basically, you know, I mean – I think we need to think about this race differently for Centowitz. You know, I mean, when, when the Kentucky Derby winner goes out and does a workout, they publish it in the daily racing forum and people watch it. it this is what this is. It's a workout. And the fact that, you know, the Peyton Jordan is technically a meet, I mean, really in reality, it's practice for most people or just a qualifying meet. It's not really a race. I mean, it, it, I'm not saying it's not a race, but it's but not a race case, uh, Essentially, Peyton Jordan's a really big deal for a lot of 10K runners or if you're a runner who can't hit the standard. Um, so guys, are but it used to be a bigger deal. Not a big deal. Americans didn't have three events, three people per event hitting the standard. But now that we do, it's a lot easier now to hit the standard. Um, the fact you see so many Americans in Doha racing shows you know there's a bigger world out there. So you know, I think the 10K guys a lot of times still go here to get the time, be safe, get the times. But they have it from last year, most of them. Yeah, so it's it's also become easier to get the standards for the Americans because they made it. Um, I don't know what they change with the standard. Yeah. Somehow it's easier. I understand. Like, what, um, I mean, yeah, I'm excited. Like Chezer- uh huh. Okay. Oh no, I was just saying. Like I remember when uh, Cheserek and um, he he ran. Uh, it was either this or Stanford. He ran it in trainers. You know, just trying to get the NCAA qualifier. But I don't think um, I I don't think he's gonna do that this year. I think he's really going for for the record at least the collegiate record. Um especially considering, you know, when he ran that really fast mile indoors, I think they had an interview with him afterwards and they was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to do at least one fast 5k um, outdoors this year. I don't know whether that's this, it's really hard to, to say. No, but, this um, is definitely it. I was about to say, yeah. there is one race. That's a big race. That's for a college kid. <laughs> Edward Cheserich trying to see what he can do. Um, yeah. But the crazy thing is now because some of these other guys don't need to run it, he might be the fastest guy in the in the field, John. Or I mean, oh, I think he is. I think the, out too. That's. I think the problem <laughs> is he's not going to have anyone to to chase to run this. Like you know, I, I is assume he the best PR? What? Is he the best PR in the field? Um, I don't think so. I think uh, I'm pretty sure like Riley Masters and Garrett Heath have run uh, marginally faster than Chesrat by a couple seconds. And maybe Riley, Riley Moss yeah, but we seventeen, I believe. Um, That's but crazy. Huh? The, no, the issue for Chesarek, I think he can run thirteen zero, but he needs you know running thirteen zero yeah, from the front is difficult. If he has a pacer through, if he had someone taking him through four k, which that would be ideal. But the, you know, it's almost there are very few people who can do that. Even if someone can take him through three k and he just has to handle the last two k. You know, maybe he could do it, but I think in this race, a lot of these guys are going to be fine just breaking 13.22, running the world championship standard. Cheserek wants, he's got his eyes set on bigger, a uh, bigger prize. 
Well, does anyone remember the race indoors when it, when it went to running 13:20 pace and, and you know Molo Red ran 13:04? So if, if they had this thing rabbited at 13:20 pace for 4K, I think Cesar would easily break 13:10 off that. You know, so that was. The, the, I agree. That's really the only thing I I'm, care about at all in this meet is, is him in this 5,000. Um, I mean, considering Lowry. Oh, Murder racing? Is he racing? No, he's racing. Yeah. The murder of Lowry Wing. Murder's in the A heat and Centro's in the B heat? Like, uh, no offense, but, uh, I don't know. Who, what? Centro's won 1320 yeah. before, right? Well, he's not, is it, maybe he doesn't care. Yeah. A while What's back, it? and that was like I mean, I'm interested in what, and that was in the A heat at Stanford. So what, this is totally a workout. I, you know, I don't really get it. I mean, um, Kyle Merber, Kyle Merber's in the A heat in the five thousand. Oh my God, that's what I'm talking about. What's his What's his five k PR? Probably like ever run one minutes. I think it's like fourteen oh two. I don't think he, he said he hasn't I'm run one. Let, no offense, Kyle. Maybe listening. Did let's run fast. Fourteen oh two. Fast heat. Who's gonna rabbit? I mean. One thing about as much money as Oregon has, you think he'd hire a rabbit. Would that be an NCAA violation to hire a rabbit? I don't think it would be. I, why didn't Chesney? It could be a rabbit via Nike. Usually there's rabbits to this thing. You know, it's sort of interesting now because the, the standards are just a lot softer than they used to be. Um, They're not softer. 1322 and 2745, but they've always been. There's just more guys who can run them. You think so? Yeah, that's what I think. Well, I agree. I'm interested to see what Justin Knight can do in that race. Um, I mean, Kimoy Campbell's run fast, but he didn't have a very good recent few races. No, he, well, he ran 13, I think he ran 13, 14 at that Boston indoor meet. He, he ran very fast there. Didn't he struggle somewhere recently? Uh, I don't know what his most recent result was. On computer. There we go. <laughs> this is great grade A radio right here. Thirteen so fourteen, true. yeah, February twenty sixth. Oh, he ran twenty eight oh six at Stanford. Actually I remember comparing his PR to Walden. Kimoy Campbell's PR is twenty oh six forty. And um Walden's PR is twenty eight oh six fifty eight. Oh, uh, Weldon would just have right. the Jamaican national record. Yeah, Weldon would have had the Jamaican national record. That's what made me proud. Mark Gamble would be running way faster than that. You know, Drew Hunter. Um, the 2013 A standard A lot of people don't realize that Drew Hunter's in there. He's in the B as well with Centro. He actually ran a meet 1500 at Stanford about two weeks ago. Got beat by a Princeton kid. I mean, a, a Princeton. Got beat by a Princeton kid in the 342 race. I was shocked nobody talked about that on the message board. Um, Drew Hunter's interesting because he Adidas paid him a lot of money. Kind of surprised they did it because I'm sure the kid had some buzz in college, but I mean in high school, but high school kids are training much more like college runners or pro runners now. A freshman runner running that fast isn't that shocking. And I felt like there wasn't sort of the buzz that there was with an Alan Webb or something. And sort of money he got, there's a huge jump. You know, he doesn't make the Olympic trials, not because he's not a good runner, but just because he's a 19-year-old kid. And it's just a huge jump in class, and so now sort of, you know, he still could be a very good runner, but sort of, you know, with the amount of money supposedly that he got, I'm, if I'm him, I definitely take it. But uh, it'd be interesting to sort of see what happens with him because, you know, he's sort of off everyone's radar right now. 
Um, so I think the B race to him will be a, a good race. Um, it's got just such a long way to go. The 2013 World Championship A standard 5K was 13.15. Now it's 13.22. So, you know, with seven seconds of that level is a, a big difference. Um, yeah. 2011, it was 13.20. So they've they just dialed it back a bit recently. Um, the Americans are definitely getting better. Plus, we have some new, you know, U.S. citizens, which made the Americans better. Um, so, but Americans sort of know, like, you want to be good, you better run at 13.10. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see who's running. You know, Kim Conley's running the 10K because she has to. She she DNF'd the Olympic trials in the 10K last year, so she doesn't have the standard. So it's basically, I mean, most of the top 10K people have it from last year, but a few Brandon, don't. You know, Nate Brandon jumping up to 5K. Uh, you got some guys sort of wanting to extend their career. Um, anyone know if Nate's got a sponsor yet? Yes, he uh, just signed with Nike, I believe. Props to Nike. Nate's a good guy. And, uh, you know, also one of the best in Canada still. Um, well, still one of the best in the world. I wonder where Emily so, Enfield's going because she's already got the 10K standard. Maybe she just wants to race. I, I, I'm fine with that. You're, you're a 10K okay. runner. Where you, gonna, you need a fast one. Um, that's where you go. So for the 10K, you know, Stanford, I still think it's got a lot of its appeal. If you're now like a Tolimo or Ben True, you want to go race the best. Um, and then for the, obviously, it's a great race for Edward Cheswick. So, you know, I guess the pacing will be very interesting to sort of see what goes and happens there. Um, Nate Brandon, 1343 PD only 10 years ago. And then so, Caleb Hawkins in the 10K is interesting to me. That's about it. So, uh, oh, people yeah, are like, Eric Jenkins, they got it. Yeah. Which is first? I'm yeah. assuming he's doing that to work out, John. Which is first? The 800 and 1500? 800th first. So I'm assuming he'll do some... Yeah. Only on last run people get geeked out by like... 149, 340 could, type thing. What could Eric Jenkins run at 800? Um, you know, I don't know. 148? Yeah. Uh, I guess. So, what, what one, I he could probably run faster yeah. than 148. He is the oh, world champion, so he probably should be, I don't know, yeah. 146. Then you're getting down there. 146 I mean, would be a good day. 146, mm-hmm. I think 146 is fast for him. Centro only ran 147 last year. I know Centro's run faster. It depends if they train for exclusively for the 800 or not. And did it a yeah. bunch of times. When they... I would say 148 is a good over-under. I was thinking about the Gordon, you do have people mixing it up. And, I mean, uh, how hard like is that? I, I would like to know how fast the Bob is because, like, you think she's not going to tie up too much. Like, I wonder if the best way for her to go is just as fast as she can and then hang on or try to run, like, 57.5, I think the other, you know, I think the premier events on the, in, well, the 10Ks are always good. The collegiate record attempt, or not record, assuming that can get the record, how fast can Cesare go at 5K? And then, you know, the women's 5K, we haven't, um, discussed it at all, but uh, there's one runner who stands out, and that's Sifan Hassan. Um, he's won 14.59 before. He's total class of that field. I mean, you got a few others in there, Nicole Tolley and others, uh, Mariel Hall, but um, I'm sure I'm missing somebody. 
But if she wants to go after it, she now trains with the Oregon Project uh, under that group. What can she go? I mean, uh, if she can run. I mean, but the thing is, she's probably running by herself in this field. But I think she could definitely break 14:50. I mean, she ran like 14:57 or 14:59 here a few years ago. So. You know, I think she this was, that was three years ago before she really – that was like a breakout year. So, I would say – I mean, you put her in a Diamond League race, I wouldn't be surprised to see her run the high 1430s. But in this one, I would say – I mean, anything under anything under her PR is going to be a pretty solid effort. But I wouldn't be surprised if she ran under 1450 if uh, she really goes after it. Yep. Madonna, I mean, speaking of her, she, you know, she joined she's the group of Shannon I, I, I was wondering how that was going to impact Roberry. I, I sort of said, I think I made the prediction in the winter that Shannon Roberry would now never be mm-hmm. again for the rest of her life. I think it's got to be tough for Roberry. I mean, she's 32 now. She just missed the Olympic medal, you know, fourth. And then they bring in this girl who's probably more talented, certainly younger than her. You know, how does she respond to that? I mean, she got beat in the road mile last week by Katie Mackey, which isn't a good result for Roberry. Does anyone know if Roberry was supposed to be running the, the track race at Drake, or was she always scheduled just for the road mile? I thought that was weird that she ran one and not the other. I do not know. But, you know, that's one other thing to look forward to for the rest of the year. But, um... We've also yeah, had uh, Ali Ostrander. Days, yeah, Ali Ostrander, indeed. He's like the new Jordan Taylor. We've got to talk about... You know, the new for Isaac the York. Oh, I didn't know Evan Jager versus Isaac York. That's kind of interesting to me. And yeah, Jenkins isn't winning the fifteen hundred. He's already winning the well, sort of Definitely not a fifteen hundred guy. Um, I thought Loxham was running Doha. No, I don't think Kat Loxham is running any meet. If he could get no. in it, he'd run it. Uh, Loxham is listed in the fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. Oh, the fifteen hundred. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, no, because his his statement to me when I asked him if he was with the first piece, there's no 800 in Doha? No, no men's 800. For men, no. He, well, he wrote... Got, yeah, we mentioned when I wrote, I wrote him Amy, last week, Amy Craig and... Uh, and and Larson wrote me back and said... He said, this is weird. He said, I'm traveling back from Nassau. After Nassau, he ran at the Penn Relays. I, I actually led him. I was a zone runner. I led him to his uh, to his zone um, for the uh, oh, for the SMR at Penn Relays. You must be going to Shanghai. John, when's Shanghai? Is that next week? Next weekend. He said, I have I, I'm still with Royce in Seattle, but I'm going to Shanghai. Tell the West Run Nation what it's like to interact in person with a U.S. star. Oh, I, I actually... So I was I was doing all the anchors. So I led him, and I also had um, Donovan Brazier, and uh, let him both. It was you know, Penn Relays is always great, huge crowd. So that's that's kind of like one of the big things about that meet. Um, and I was surprised, you know, about that specific race. I think a lot of people weren't talking about how, um, you know, they split one forty four point one, and it was you know Penn Relays. The track conditions are always windy or whatever, and not not that good. But uh, for Brazier to split 144.1 on his leg there, like, I think that, you know, that shows he's in phenomenal form. Unfortunately, he's not racing this weekend. And then you got Taz Loxham, who's having a really busy schedule. Um, and it'll be nice to see him versus Brandon Kidder, 
he's another guy that had a great leg in at Nassau in the uh, in the four by eight. You know, he he was the leadoff, and he I think he performed a lot better than people's expectations in the eight hundred. There, he he stuck with um, even though he only split one forty seven, but like that was an it was a tactical race. He um he was he was right with the lead. So I think it'll be nice to see them too, kind of like go at it again in uh, in the fifteen hundred here. I mean. Yeah, and then we've got, you know, guys like Eric Jenkins and Evan Jager. It's just a lot of people kind of doing it as like an off event, not, you know, not their primary event. So it'll be a good race. And then we've got Isaiah Yorks, who's probably the best pure Tyler here, even though Evan Jager has run that 332. So who knows? Yeah, with question about Penn, I guess Bill Cosby no longer welcome at the finish line. It's that easy oh, yeah. to, to be the anchor the guy. Shot. I mean, I figured they would have put you like high school. You know, high school races, you'd be, like, ushering, like, the third heat of the high school. I know. It was, it was but, pretty crazy. No, I guess I did it last year, too, so it was, I got the uh, are you, second year. Are you a legend because of the track spot? I mean, does it, you walk around campus and women are coming up to you and, like, yeah, you're uh, a nah. track spot guy? A few people hear. I've met in person know about it, like, knew about it or whatever. But, like, I don't know. People, like, on my running club, no one on my running club knows. A few people on the team know about it, but, like, really, I don't know. It's just a fun thing I do on the side. But, uh, you know, it's always fun to uh, help out with 10 relays and stuff like that. It's my favorite uh, time of the year here at Penn. So that's always great. And, uh, yeah, we've got some, some good races with Peyton Jordan. I mean, we'll see, you know, how they work out if they end up being, like, pace. I mean, especially the distance races, they're probably just going to be, you know, time trials. But I don't know. Like, this 1500 doesn't really make – I wouldn't think a lot of these guys, like, I don't think they're really, they're just trying to run fast. They're not necessarily trying to hit a standard, you know, especially Eric Jenkins, Brandon Kidder, Kaz Loxham, and Evan Jager. Like, all of those guys, you know, they're not trying to run this at the World Championships. They're just trying to, to get in a race. So it'll be interesting to see that. Yeah, I agree. Should be a tremendous Friday night. Um I guess Friday. I think it was going to be a whole weekend at track and field, but now with the Nike 2-hour attempt Friday, tomorrow's That's true. You know, about as action-packed as it can get. Um, and I'm super psyched that the 2-hour attempt is at an hour when I can actually watch them in Mountain Time Zone, so I can see it. Otherwise, you know, I had to wake up at 3 a.m. I'm, I probably would have. I would have, but... uh. I may sleep through it. I thank I thank you, Kip Toge, for going so early in the morning. Um, but everyone, tune your TVs. Um, Universal HD tomorrow for the Diamond League opener, 12 to 2 p.m. live from Doha. Anyone got any parting shots? Go Go green. What was that? Go Big Green. Hep's Weekend. Oh, Hep's Weekend. Also, we have a clash for the championship. Newcastle and Brighton battling for the soccer championship in England. Greg Olsen practicing today, John, and maybe back. Inside joke. um, Robert, do you have anything controversial to say before we sign off? Well, that means it's time to go, ladies and gentlemen. If Robert said a loss of words, 
I think we've got we've covered it all. Habs, thanks for joining us. For Robert Johnson, for Jonathan Galt, this is Logan Johnson signing off for what's on dot com chat up. Opening day tomorrow. Spread the word. Seriously. Try to get one or two extra friends to like maybe they're not gonna watch the Doha thing, maybe they'll watch the Nike thing, one or the other. Or you're in a running club with somebody, just mention it. Um I think also with Doha. Yeah, we've got the um they're going to be online, and also you've got the fantasy race. I started, um, I started the fantasy league for Let's Run and for my own running club. We've already got like 28 people in it from uh, Let's Run, so that's two new requests. Okay, I need to figure out how to do that this year and actually do it myself. Um, yes. And I think actually, point of order is the Diamond League meet going to be taped away on NBCSN later as well on Saturday. Yes, so that's it's taped away. It's airing on Saturday night, so it's going to be. A, whole day later. That's great. If something great happens in the meet tomorrow, tell your friend, hey, Saturday night, your board's about to go out, drinking your thing, whatever you do on Saturday night, go out to have dinner, um, watch the meet. We'll post the time of the takeaway broadcast as well, but, you know, do what you can to spread the word about our beautiful sport, opening day, and every other sport's a big deal. So, Diamond League opener tomorrow from Doha. Should be a great one. Um, now I'm really signing off. All right. Thanks for joining us. Have a great Friday.